Hello and welcome to episode 106 of the BM Cast. Not a podcast that attends a Team Trios event and takes a weird niche deck that folds to two of the most prevalent decks in the metagame, but you think it's a good call because you think this one is a new build and you reckon it's going to surprise some people. But this show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I'm Scott and I'm joined by the Fire Traveller herself, Emma. How are you getting on? Welcome yeah, back. Thanks. It's been a while. I might as well be a guest mm. at this point, right? Like, yeah. you want to get a rotation going? No. Or- um, no, never. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm doing really good, thanks. The vacation went really well. Pretty much nice. just went dark on social media, just relaxed and pretend I didn't have a job for three weeks, which was really nice. Um, mm. Went to Roanoke, Virginia to see some friends and my partner. I did play some Magic while I was out there. I played a little bit of Commander um, with Ross and Brad. I did borrow Elliot's Hoff Free Ghost Forge deck, which I'm pretty sure you're familiar Oof. with, I believe. Um, and yeah, that deck's really yeah. dirty. It was really fun. Isn't it? Yep. Um, so as I'm back off vacation, I'm back onto the content grind. So this week mm. I look at you know the standard format, how to get into it, a best practice to jump into the format. And then this week's mm-hmm. one on a budget, I look at some of the classic archetypes. So we've got eight rack and smallpox, which is a nice fun one nice. to go back to. Um, you can check those on TCG Player now. As for Magic, I've started to play more Pioneer because there's an RCQ coming up next this Saturday coming, when this comes out, will be this Saturday, um, at Athena Games in Norwich. So I'm either going to play Mono Green Devotion or Mono Blue Spirits. But right now I'm thinking okay. Mono Green because that's just, the be- it's got the highest ceiling, it's got a lot of potential. Yeah. Especially with the Nico Bodas package because that just sounds fun, I'll be honest. <laughs> um, while I'm not looking to play like every RCQ possible, it's just nice to have that competitive spark again because as you would know, Scott, playing, yeah. writing and doing magic content full-time or nearly Mm full-time you kind of just lose that edge to want to play especially if you've just looked at cards all day and you're like you know what i want to do yeah play more magic sort of thing (laughs) so it's just nice to have that spark again i can kind of trying to pull myself away from like the work side of it and try and enjoy it again it's like a Mm. hobby so yeah that's pretty much it we've got a small testing team going on at my lgs at langdon games where we're just gonna jam some games talk pioneer and just you know, just play loads of magic in a day as you do. You play all these different matchups and stuff, which is quite fun. Yeah. Um, how about you? Nice. What have you been up to? Yeah, I've been up to a good bit since we last spoke on the podcast, anyway. You know, we mm. had the guests on, Angelo, Anthony, and Chris. It was a lot of fun. And yeah, outside of that, I was actually at a Team Trios event yesterday. My teammates being Leanne and my good friend Aaron. Formats were Pioneer, Modern, and Pauper, which is really sweet. Aaron was on Mono by Humans in Pioneer, so a nice aggressive disruptive deck. Lan, she was on her typical 12-pack deck in Modern, updated now with the Battlecry Goblins from the D&D set. And I uh, I was the joke of the day. <laughs> I very stupidly played Eggstron in Pauper, yes. Two words that okay. you don't often see together. Yeah, yeah. Remind me never, ever <laughs> to play that terrible deck again. Gladly. Um, honestly... I think the reason why I screwed up so much is because I brought, as I alluded to in the intro, I brought an untested version of the deck, Mm. right? Where it was like a, it was sort of slimmed down to be as like fast as possible, but without having as many good like teachings targets and that kind of thing. And there were several points where I was like, in the old build, I would have been able to tutor for something that would let me win on the spot, but it's not here now. So yeah, there was was that. I've, I've learned from my mistakes, but... We went out with our friends uh, for fried chicken afterwards. So, you know, I still consider it a win to some degree. chicken. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
in terms of things I'm actually good at, I was brewing this week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I made an old stick fingers deck uh, with a new Mori companion, which I actually played on stream there on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Not the Wednesday as you're listening to this, but the one before it. And it's just all creatures. It's just a fair game of magic that I don't have to think too hard about. It's nice to have one of those decks where it's like, I'm just going to tap out and play the things and then I'm going to pass the turn. And now I get to just engage in the conversation and just hang out. There's something good about that. I also made my Hanada Dawncrown Gumball deck where every card in the 99 is 25 cents or less. It's another unsleeved deck being held together with a small elastic band and a (laughs) hair tie. And I've seen it right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just holding it up over webcam. Yeah. I took it out yesterday and a couple of my friends that had traveled up for the team trios, they were like, can I riffle shuffle it? I was like, yeah, you go to town on it. You just, <laughs> you know, riffle the hell out of that thing. Yeah. Really raw dog it, you know, because like one of the guys, Dylan, he buys alt art, Japanese foil, everything and has everything mm. like triple sleeved or whatever. And when he took it up and he was like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, go on. And he, he flicked through it and he was like, oh, <laughs> like there's just something like really visceral about doing that. And like it yeah. does tilt some people. So it's very <laughs> funny. I did, by the way, with the gumball thing, I went by EU pricing because it gives me a couple more options, which, you know, I'm also tired of everything being like so US centric. Like everything is like, you know, dollars this, dollars that. And it's like, yeah, that's great. But that's also not my currency. So, you know, I'll change it up a bit sometimes. prices in Europe are cheaper anyway, in most cases. Can be, yeah. 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 Like I'm I'm still playing with 25 cent cards, you know. It's not like I'm suddenly getting like, you know, psych rifts and stuff, you know. But I am pretty sure it's still a super, super powerful deck. It's just much, much slower because spending five euros on a mana base, it can only be so fast, you know. Yeah. But speaking of unique builds, by the way, the little content plug get that out of the way this week's article is actually all about uncovering unique commander decks so i dive into like different ways to find an interesting new commander a niche commander or how to take a fresh approach on like a well-worn archetype and also things like how to improve builds using novel restrictions and stuff so if you want to get a little insight into what i do when i'm trying to find a unique new deck that i want to have for a long time and like show off this is the the article to read so it's going to be live on card kingdom by the time you listen to this so you can check that out after the show if you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. Not only will you get access to all of the show notes and deck lists, but you get to listen to the new episodes a day earlier than anyone else. Visit patreon.com forward slash the BM cast to join today. There are also free ways to support them too. Just listening to the show is already great. You can follow them on their Twitter at the BMCast as well, and even DM them for a link to the Discord server. No matter your budget, we'll make sure you get your stonks on. Alright Emma, so, first week back from vacation, and you've brought a nice little souvenir back in the form of a card of the week, haven't you? Yeah, so... With Double Masters 2022 coming out, what, nearly a month ago now? It's been about a month. Yeah. There's a lot of sweet, rares, uncommons that have been reprinted, and the price has just plummeted on some of these. I know a lot of people are focused yeah. on like the Dockside Extortionist, the Smothering Tithe, the Imperial Seals. I don't care about those. What I do care about is Colligan's Command, which is now $3.69, also nice. Um, nice. So for one black and a red and a generic mana, you get an instant. And you have two modes you can choose out of the four. The first one is return target creature from your graveyard to your hand. 
Target player discards a card, destroy target artifact, or Colligan's Command deals two damage to any target. So if you're familiar with Pioneer or Modern, it's kind of a staple in those formats just because it does a lot of things yeah. for cheap mana value. Also, it just brings back all the cheap creatures that you want to recur. Grixis Death Shadow, once upon a time, did this with Death Shadows and Snapcaster Mages. Sometimes you see it yep. in Pioneer in like Red Black Midrange. Sometimes the Sacrifice decks run it too. It's just a really versatile, cheap answer. Cheap modular cards will always see play in these formats just because they cover a lot of bases. Um, and since the reprint in Double Masters 2022, you can pick up a whole playset for this card for the original price of it being released back in Khan's Block, which is a great deal for me. It's yeah. just at one point, it was like a $20 card. It's just absurd. Yeah, yeah. that's a great card. Really good card. See, look, this is the power of reprints, right? Like, Yeah, it's also one of those cards that's just not going to shoot up in value again. It's not going to be like your Dark Sides or your Smothering Ties that are just going to scale back up over time. This is just probably going to stay around $3-$4, which is awesome. Probably, yeah. It's one of those cards where, you know, it was expensive because the supply was not as big as the demand, but yeah. now it's kind of evening out. I believe it was in, like, Dragons which is like the third set of a block and third sets of blocks don't get opened as much so there's just less in circulation correct me if i'm yeah. wrong either way it had one printing before this point and now it's got two and this is great yeah right oh so since you're back we are going to go back to a type of episode that we haven't done in a while and that is pioneer primer so this is where we take a deck and we go through it we provide like a budget version of it and we talk about the main cards of the deck what it wants to do how it does it and all that kind of stuff as well some tips and tricks and we actually have kind of a special one this week because this is essentially a full budget deck already like this is the finished product effectively and that is mono white humans so this is a deck that has popped up over the last little while in pioneer it doesn't have anything that's like particularly new in it. I think people just started trying it and realized, well, this might actually have some legs. And then people started refining it. And now it is starting to kick ass and take names, really. I think it's a great option to get into the format in the first place because it's an aggressive deck. It's fairly linear. Like you can get some good wins with this very easily. And I think it has quite a high ceiling as well. Like, once you get really, really used to this deck, there are a lot of, like, little niche lines and little interesting interactions that keep this deck fresh for a good long time. So, like I said, it's an aggressive deck. It wants to pressure your opponents, and it wants to do so while applying some mild or narrow disruption. And it uses plus one, plus one counters as well to grow your threats. And there are a couple of other uses for them in there as well. One of the key cards... Actually, the first two key cards that we're going to talk about here are going to sound very familiar because they are some of the key cards from humans in modern as well. Yep. So, Thalia, Guardian of Fraven, and Thalia's a tenant. Um, so, you may be familiar with these two cards because they pair quite well, as Scott said, in the modern humans deck, which we don't really see much anymore. Aethervar's kind of in a bad spot because modernizers too, unless we talk about mm. that. These two cards combined, so Thalia gives the uh, taxon effects, so it makes all non-creature spells cost one more. And then you've got Thalia's a tenant that just puts counters onto your creatures just by playing the game, by just playing humans, and you just grow a massive board, and you turn sideways. Yeah. It's simple as that. A good thing about these human decks is that they have a curve, so you curve from one to three. It's rare that you go over mm -hmm. that, so you can just able just to tap out, 
and just plague creatures, grow them with counters and turn sideways. It's pretty straightforward, which is also a really good starting point for a budget deck because you care about combat maths. That's the only thing you need to worry about here. 100%. Yeah. It's also nice that this is a powerful deck where roughly 25% of the main deck is effectively free. They're just basic planes. Yeah, that's quite nice. <laughs> yeah. Yes, one other thing that I really like this personally. I love this One card. of the key cards in this deck is Brave the Elements. So it's a single white for an instant that says, choose a color, white creatures you control gain protection from that chosen color until end of turn. So oh, you can wow. use this to protect yourself from like a sweeper, like a damage-based sweeper, or you, know, you can use it defensively to stop creatures dying when you're blocking or whatever. But realistically, you're going to be amassing a board and then against your opponent, you're going to be choosing the most prevalent color on their battlefield, selecting that, and then just being able to walk right past every blocker for an alpha strike. It's so scary good. A single white mana, like the restriction white only creatures, but like when you start looking at like the creatures that are in this deck, like it makes perfect sense in here it's so so strong the thing with like you said about the the thalia guardian of thraben and thalia's lieutenant the two of those are kind of like emblematic of the rest of the deck as well because for example thalia's lieutenant you also have additional support in the form of luminarch aspirant as well which is the two mana one one that at the beginning of combat put a plus one plus one counter on another creature that's a very similar kind of effect to thalia's lieutenant so they're your sort of grow the board sort of things. And then the other taxing things that are in the deck, you have stuff like Tomic, stuff like there's a single Kithian that when it flips, you can make a creature attack him if able and all this kind of stuff. Like you can really make combat kind of awkward. There are one or two other things that are really, really neat. We'll probably go into them in like the tips and that kind of stuff. But I think one of the biggest boons for this deck over the last little while, with two of them really, is Adeline Resplendent Cathar and Brutal Cathar. Like, an incredibly powerful threat that just gets bigger and bigger, the better your board is, and then Brutal Cathar being able to, like, take creatures out of the way so that you can swing through. It just causes so many problems. Applying that kind of pressure, it's fantastic. It really, really is. And the raw humans as well. Exactly. So they'll all keep growing with Thalia's Lieutenant or growing Thalia's Lieutenant itself. Yep. So, with that said, we're bigging up this deck quite a lot. There are some cards to be aware of, right? There's two in particular. There's Kalitas Trader of Get, and there's Thing in the Ice. Now, it's not just those cards themselves, it's kind of the decks they're in as well. And that is sort of Rakdos Midrange is a Phoenix. We'll get into the details of that in the bad matchup section, but Kalitas, you can't really deal with it. No. Pretty much at all. Like, you have to hope that your board's big enough and you can brave the elements and swing for lethal, because having lifelink and then also being able to like make more blockers it's it's rough it's very very rough very difficult i don't know how you beat it in this deck without tr- hoping they don't draw it basically that's it because like most right. mid midrange decks and stuff will have like two of tops yeah you know they normally run in like the sideboard i don't know if they run it in the main board anymore but just just hope they don't draw it and then you're good <laughs> pretty much pretty much uh the other one like i said thing in the ice if that flips your board's reset. That's it. And then you've got a 7-8 to contest, which is just difficult anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pray for those brutal Cathars, I guess. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they're the two sort of ones to be careful with. There are good matchups, though. First one being blue-white control. Uwu control, as I'm determined to call her from now on. And is in the show notes, just so you know. 
Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I put that there. <laughs> it's good because you keep putting down small aggressive threats. Like, you're an aggressive deck, you're going to be mildly taxing. Like, if you put a Thalia down, they can no longer Supreme Verdict on turn four. It's now turn five. And that will be all the difference. They don't have a ton of, like, efficient interaction for you in the early game. And that is going to be to their detriment because... Well, I mean, you're the you're the opposite end of the the sort of the you know the matchup triangle of like you know yeah. combo control and aggression and all that kind of stuff. It's it's that kind of thing. Like you're designed to pressure these slower control decks and stuff. And the other one, which is not surprising mm-hmm. when you think about how Modern White Humans is aggressive coupled with disruption, it's really good against Lotus Field because you have oh, Fardia yeah. guarding your Fraven that just co- makes all their cantrips and all their search spells cost one more. You also just have this low aggressive curve and they don't run any removal main board. They have like an Ottawa just to like bounce something and what yeah. does it matter? You just get to play it again because you play one, two, three mana creatures. Um, so yeah, it's really mm-hmm. difficult for them to just like win the game if you just manage to do this one, two, three curve and just turn sideways. Absolutely. And one very, very big hate piece and funny story that happened <laughs> yesterday at the Team Trios. Aaron in the Pioneer Seat piloting Monobai Humans. They played Tomic Distinguished Advocate on turn two. Rip. And their opponent read it like three times and went, I can't win. Just pretty much straight away. Like that, barring the Otawara, which they would have to like Sylvan Scrying for or whichever, they're unable to untap their Lotus Field because lands can't be the targets of spells your opponent's control. So they can't like hidden strings it, they can't untap it and that kind of stuff. So... Yeah, it's very, very rough. Like, they'd have to dig for the Ottawara, bounce it, but by the time they do that, like, your board is going to be enormous. They're just going to die to the swing, you know? So, yeah, it's very, very rough. What's rough for us, though, we mentioned a few minutes ago, Rakdos midrange, it's just removal, that deck. Yeah, they, they, like, it's just so much removal. They have pushes, they have dread balls, they have... Mm-hmm. They are a free mana value deck. They run a lot of free mana yeah. spells, but all those spells are pretty good. Like Fable and Mirror Breaker is just good because it can copy a, a creature. It can be a blocker in the early mm. turns. They, they just have a lot of ways to slow down the game, which is something you don't want as an aggressive deck. Very, very true. Yeah. Like, I think some of the best things you can do in this matchup is to use, like, the Brave the Elements defensively to protect key threats, like, say, um, Adeline and that kind of thing. But... Yeah, it's rough. Dauntless Bodyguard is pretty good in this matchup too yeah. because it's able to protect some important stuff. And you have like a few grindy bits. Like you got Extraction Specialist and that kind of thing so you can like get your creatures back. It's a three-power creature with lifelink and that sort of stuff. It sort of hedges against them. But it's not something you would want to go up against very regularly. And then the other bad matchup is a Phoenix. Again, another extremely removal-heavy deck. It has, you know, technically infinitely recurrable blockers in the form of the Phoenix. Fly as well. Mm. Mono White's not very good at dealing with flyers either, so just having them chip over incrementally. And Ledger Shredder as well. Ledger Shredder also flies. That can just get out of hand because Kanai's a thing. Um, So you have to be careful with that when you play against Is It Phoenix because while you want to spew out your border creatures, you're also powering these Ledger Shredders as well because of the Kanai's ability. Yeah. Thankfully, Brutal Cathar is pretty good here because it's able to, you know, exile the Ledger Shredder. And even if they remove it, it resets it. So it's kind of fine. Same with Thing in the Ice. Portable Holes are really good out of the sideboard. Like most people look at it and go, well, it doesn't hit the Phoenix. It's like, yeah, but it does hit the card that will end the game for you, which is Thing in the Ice. There's another funny story from the Team Trios yesterday, by the way. Mm -hmm. Aaron was saying that in one of the games, 
their Phoenix opponent put all four Phoenix in the bin over the course of two turns and tapped out on that second turn, casting three spells. This was post-board. Mm-hmm. And they were like, with all those triggers on the stack, flashing containment priest. Oh, Exile yes. all four Arclight <laughs> Phoenix. Oh, all yes. four. Oh, baby. Beautiful stuff. They definitely won that game. <laughs> <laughs> for the record <laughs> surprised that Phoenix played as you can see it on the spot <laughs> yeah yeah it was uh, oh it was a sight to behold it was <laughs> I don't like seeing my birds going away forever but you know when it's one of my teammates doing it bin chickens I'm okay with it yeah good old bin chickens <laughs> so that's the general rundown like generally speaking like I know how this kind of sounds right is that like two of the best decks in the format the Rakdos midrange and the Is of Phoenix are some of its worst matchups but the reason that we only have two listed in the good matchups is because so many of the other decks in the format are actually just pretty solid matchups. They're not necessarily heavily favored or anything, but you're an aggressive, disruptive deck that's going to be able to hold its own very well against an awful lot of what's out there. Yeah. I mean, as a mono green player, I'm a little bit nervous seeing mono white because they can just curve out and I have to use my elves to protect my life total and not use those to ramp into my big threat. So it makes me slow down, which is bad because I just want to combo over the top of them. But life resource is really important because they can just play an Adeline and just kill you. So Exactly. That's it. So with that said, let's jump over to some tips and tricks to sort of go through some like little niche lines and ideas and sort of concepts with the deck. First of all, I haven't actually put it in the show notes, but I do feel compelled to point it out that Portable Hole is possibly the best sideboard card that you have. It's so good against so many matchups. Like, against Monogreen Ramp, like the Nyctos decks and stuff, you just Portable Hole all their elves, all their little things, just get rid of all of them. They rely on them so heavily to be able to accelerate out. And if you're only spending one mana to just slow them down by a turn, and you do that like one or two times, that's often enough for you to be able to get a huge edge on them. Also worth noting, you can portable hole at Wolf Willow Haven, which is also relevant against Mono Green. Yes, very, absolutely, very yeah, hundred percent. Like if you look, if you actually go onto the MTG Goldfish like Pioneer metagame page to have a look at the different decks, you will see that nearly every deck there has something important that gets hit by portable hole. It's yeah. absurd, absolutely absurd. Like the Spirit decks, you can take all sorts of stuff. You can take Lords and everything. The Boros Heroic decks, you can take their key threat. You can take all sorts it is so so powerful i think it's possibly one of the most important removal spells in the entire format it's so good um so one of my tips and tricks we had a little conversation about this before we started recording is (laughs) read hopeful initiate then read Mm -hmm. it again because we both misread this card (laughs) and i think many (laughs) other people have as well um so if you don't know what hopeful initiative does it is a one two for one white Uh, as a human warlock and it's got training. And training is whenever this creature attacks with another creature with greater power, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it. That bit's fine, but that's not why you play mm-hmm. the card. Uh, why you do play the card is for the activate ability, which is two generic and a white. Remove two plus one, plus one counters from creatures amongst you control. So all cre- any creature that you control, you can destroy an artifact enchantment. You don't have to remove the counters from Hopeful Initiate. You can remove it off your Fadi's attendance and blow something up. That is like super yeah. important. And I don't think people realise what they could do with the card. Because it's just you just yeah. pass over it. You think, oh, it makes it makes counters, therefore I have to remove these counters of this creature to do the thing. But nope, you can anything on anything that you control, any creature you control, and it's just so good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's wild. Like I read this card like twenty times. So I'm like, yeah, it's a good <laughs> yeah. card, I guess. 
No, that's absurd. That's that's a banana's powerful ability. Oh my god. Like <laughs> any creature that you control? Wild. Wild. Please mute the bolts <laughs> if you activate it as well. Like whatever. True. Absolutely. That might be niche, but it still applies. Yeah. Worth noting as well, another tip is if it is night, Brutal Cathar does not enter as a human, so it doesn't trigger Thalia's lieutenant's triggered ability. That is important in case you're trying to, you know, get a power on board or anything like that. And sometimes it is worth, while you have Brutal Cathars on board, you might want to hold on to casting a spell so that you can, like, turn it to night so that you can get another creature off the board and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Another thing, um, because there's multiple ways to sequence especially to get most out your Farley's lieutenants because of the yes. amount of counters the card can make so you can tap Mutavolt to activate itself with a Farley's lieutenant entering on the stack to ensure that land also gets a counter because technically it's a human um, because Mutavolt mm-hmm. has all types so if you just want to add a counter to Mutavolt just for the late game in case you know if there's a board wipe or something like that just adding these to Mutavolt throughout the game if you know you don't have a lot else going on is a good way to just give you something to do in the late game yeah that's it with adeline resplendent cathar she creates one one human tokens when attacking so they will actually trigger thalia's lieutenant's triggered ability and grow the lieutenant so when you're attacking be sure to remember that it's super important um because it will determine how your opponent blocks as well because you know you're gonna have a huge thalia's lieutenant another important one especially in the post-ball games if you're looking to bring in containment priests um, against like is it phoenix for example and um, mm-hmm. just be mindful that extraction specialist ability will not work while containment priest is in play so that's a bit of a nombo yes. just keep that in mind when sideboarding and playing with the cards if you happen to keep both in in your games two and three yeah now it's entirely likely that you can sort of play around it by you know playing one and then the other when it's removed yeah. and that kind of thing so it's not like a full nonbow. like you can chances are one of them's going to get killed by something so yeah. You know, you'll get use out of both. And then, generally speaking, with most matchups, you want to try and lead with a two-power one-drop wherever possible. That's why you don't see Emma's beloved Thraven Inspectors in here. They're great cards, but they're not quite suited for this build because you want to try and get a three-power creature as soon as possible because you have the likes of Arboreal Grazers and Sylvan Caryatids that still show up from time to time in the format, and you want to be able to punch through those as quick as you can turn one a two power creature followed by a turn two thalia's lieutenant will allow you to get past them and that's super super important against those particular kinds of decks to make sure that you can pressure them quickly and effectively and that is basically it for mono white humans i know this is a little bit of a shorter pioneer primer than usual but it's a pretty straightforward deck to be honest there are a lot of tricks to it There are a lot of little niche tricks and everything that is really, really sweet, really interesting. If you want to upgrade this, like rest in peace in the sideboard over Soul Guide Lantern is basically it. Yeah. And even then, it's not even much of an upgrade. It's only an extra like $10 or so. And it's pretty much as it's designed here, really. You know, a lot of these cards just aren't that expensive. I think, is it Adeline is the most expensive card in the deck? Uh, That Mutavolt, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's really not a pricey deck at all. If you want to have a deck that is just solid, has a lot of game against a lot of the format, and 
you know, realistically, you can take an awful lot of these cards and upgrade it into other versions. Like, there are Ors of Humans decks that want to use the Pyre of Heroes kind of thing for, like, a sort of sacrifice benefit kind of thing um, with, like, Bloodsoak Champions and all that kind of stuff. You can do that. Uh, you can upgrade to the four-color humans decks, which are like much more toolboxy with the Pyre of Heroes and that kind of thing. There's a lot that you can do, but they are completely different decks. They're completely different archetypes that operate entirely differently. This is just a no-nonsense, powerful, aggressive deck. And I think whether you're new to Pioneer or you've been playing for a while and you want something different, this is an excellent choice. I agree. It's a really good starting point. Um, you can also play this in Modern as well. If you just want to do some a modern FNM, you can just take this deck and play it modern as well. Just get some mileage out of those cards. And you can build humans later on in modern if you want to, but that's not in a mm. great spot. But if you enjoy the tribal stuff, then why not? Good old Fury. Hate Fury so much. <laughs> and Prismatic Ending. That's the other problem. That too, yeah. That too. All right. So, to round things out, Emma, have we got some Q&A this week? Yeah, we've got quite a bit this week. So we'll start off with Morgan. Mm. They have tweeted in to say, Modern Bluetron is one of my favourite decks. I loved Emma's article about the budget versions and have found the optimal list to be optimal. How did you decide to only have two four mana cards? So that's the great creator. And are there any changes you, either of you would make to uh, to recommend for Modern Bluetron? So my only change is that I would add the other two cards. The only reason I didn't was because I wanted a little more disruption and counter magic because Monobletron is more disruptive um, and doesn't really lean on the card package but given the mm. way the metagame's going I would lean into that because you want to incorporate Engineered Explosives and Sundering Titan into your sideboard because Engineered Explosives is really really good at the moment given there's so many low mana value creatures and permanents knocking about also, I'd want to add a Torpor Orb to the sideboard just to stop any of the the uh, Evoke Elementals and just to slow down the Urian Piles because they care about ETVs so much. I think that would be my recommendation going forward. Absolutely. I don't have a huge amount of recommendations for it at the moment because I'll be honest, it has been a while since I have looked at Monobletron in modern, but... One thing I will say is that looking through the lists and stuff, I could very, very easily see if budget isn't an option, just four Urza Sagas. Exactly, <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> just four Urza Sagas, have that as like your win con, or your primary yeah. win con. Like it, you're going to have so many artifacts just randomly in play. It's going to be great because you're going to hold up mana for your interaction, that kind of stuff. And then if you don't need to use it, you make an enormous threat. And then you go and get a pithing needle and name something silly or whatever, you know, and like yeah. shut them out of something. Like there are so many different things that you can do with an Urza Saga package in this deck in particular. But I'm also aware that I'm just like, well, add like $200 to the cost <laughs> of the deck, you know? So the other yeah. uh, thing I would be tempted to add is just add some mystical disputes to the sideboard. That card's also oh, yeah. in a really good spot. So just cut. If you're going by my budget list, just cut like the Knicks for like a couple of mystical disputes because Blue's pretty good at the moment. Yeah. Um, and then we've got another question from Jamie C. They ask, having never played a draftable unset, what sort of impact do you think it could have on constructor formats? So this unset's Infinity, the latest set, is going to be different mm -hmm. compared to other unsets because there'll be black border cards, which means they are legacy playable. And I don't know yeah. if they're commander playable. I would assume so. Just. There, yes, yes. Yeah, okay. So, honestly, I think that we've seen a lot of people complain, being like, oh my god, Legacy's going to be ruined with stickers and like other yeah. stupid <laughs> mechanics and stuff. Well, first of all, 
first of all, you're you're conflating the problem because not not you, Jamie, but like the people that are out there being like, oh, legacy's gonna be ruined and all this sorts of stuff. Like they they already stated first of all that they're likely to not be able to see any play because they just won't be good enough for that. And on top of that, like so, yeah. <laughs> like it's it's Magic the Gathering. It's like it, like in my opinion, you can't sit there and be like, oh, this now has stickers or this has like a card that seems a bit silly when like you look at the best deck i saw like someone was talking to me about this on twitter recently and i was telling them i was like look the best deck in legacy is like one where you know a bird lawyer tries to put a load of stuff in the bin and then a dragon appears with it like and you're doing interpretive dance and all sorts of stuff with like expressive iteration stuff like (laughs) the whole thing is built on a foundation of stupidity anyway like to, to pick the line to draw on like something that's like just a little more obviously silly to me uh, it just sounds like trying to find problems i personally don't think yeah. they're going to have any impact at all one or two might show up in pauper and they might be a little silly but like they might just go you know what let's just get rid of these these are stupid you know or they might just be fun who knows because sometimes putting fun into a card game is actually a good idea like just just throwing that out there i know that's a hot take to some mm. people but like sometimes fun is good um, so we've got another from Monsu Light. Um, they ask, outside the card, the weak cards, do you have any underrated tech in any formats? Commander included. Uh, nothing comes to mind for me at the minute when it comes to tech. All I know is that Spell Pierce is super good in modern at the moment, so you should probably play that. And spell that snare. is true. I don't have anything, again, that comes to mind. I'm actually, while I'm doing this, I'm going to open a little thing here see if i can find something for you off the cuff you know uh, because i do have hidden it's not uh it's not listed so don't go looking it is hidden in my architect profile i have a brewer's trove where if i see cool niche cards or whatever i just sort of stick them in there and like you know hope that someday i'll like be needing a card and i'll go look in there and i'll find the perfect piece you know so let's have a look i've got a couple of uh a couple of cards here. I'll take a quick look through. Here's one I just found. It's called Fight or Flight for Commander. Okay, It's three and a white. It's an enchantment. And it says, at the beginning of each opponent's combat phase, so not your own, but each opponent's combat phase, separate all creatures that player controls into two face-up piles. And then the player chooses one of them. And only those creatures may attack this turn. So you just split the team, split the army, you know, and like that can cause some problems because like you'll get to mess with combat. They might not be able to have good profitable attacks anymore. It's a little bit political. You know, you can you can start to have your way with the table with that. So there's something for you. Cool. Um, So we'll quick fire through the rest of these questions quickly. Um, Did you ever draft an onset? Yeah, I did unstable like twice and I loved it, but then was like, okay, never again. Do yeah, while I do same. this set because it was fun, but I was like, I'm done. That's it. Yeah, same. Like I did unstable as well, which was also really fun, but I don't think I could do it again because obviously it's post pandemic and I'm a little bit apprehensive of clapping, like touching, clapping yeah. hands with people. I like the idea, but I don't think I could do it again. Yeah. Bo Schwartz asks, are there any old cards um, you hope to get introduced for standard Pioneer and Modern from Dominaria United? My answer is Allied Painlands, please. I want them in Pioneer so badly. Huh. In Pioneer, I yeah. would love to see I, I would love to see something show up like I think Pioneer's of the right power level where you can put in stuff like the rack now. 
Yeah. And like might be able to get like a good eight rack deck maybe. I think that might be a good spot for the format. Ooh, yeah, possibly. that'd be a spicy one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly from Dr. Unks, um, what would be your ideal magic decathlon? Tiny Oof. leaders has to be in there. Let's go. Really? <laughs> um, for me, it, it would probably be like Pioneer Modern Pauper, like the team trios. Yeah. Like I think, because they are, in my opinion, just the best competitive formats. Because you're you're not going to put a non-competitive format in there. And I, to me, I know CEDH exists, but for me, Commander is not a competitive format. Full stop. Yeah, um, if it was designed as such, there would be like dozens and dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, more bands. So <laughs> yes. you know, yeah. Pioneer Modern Popper for me. Yeah, that seems good to me. Yeah. Sorry, Legacy. <laughs> no one cares about Legacy. <laughs> Sorry, Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to us here at the BMCast and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Tom Telford, Anthony Burchett, Christopher McCarthy, Edward Whitney, Evil Vanilla Glaze, Ian Holland, Jeff Eaton, Jonas Kahn, Kilgore Trout 503, Matthew O'Neill, Max Makes Magic, MF Peaches, Mini Maya, Monsu Light, Nicholas Martin, Ozan Kaplaner, Scott Hanch, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Zachary Morrow, Tim Newman, and Patrick Newman. And at the Songs tier, we have A Nice Planeswalker, Alex Gibson, Bo Schwartz Madsen, Brian A. Madden, Coffee, Everett Brogan, Nurblin, Mickey Paris, Scott Creech, Seamus MC, Simon Grip, Jamie Coyle, and Clyde Anderson. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We cannot thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely and wonderful people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagiccast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck. <laughs>